Hello, and thank you for joining us for this first episode of the Psychology of Swole podcast. Today we'll be talking to clinical psychologist Jessica Yu. Before we get started, Jonas and I just wanted to talk a little bit about what interested us in your research and what motivated us to do this podcast. We are amateur gym goers who are fascinated by the culture surrounding the gym, one of toxic masculinity, but also incredible community. As we'll delve deeper into later, there has been a large shift towards internet bodybuilding and with more visibility comes more insecurity. As a result, we have seen a growth in steroid use among males. However, these new users are not just professional athletes, but recreational weightlifters, even those as young as ourselves. Your research continues to grow in significance, and in this day and age, as the body of victims enlarges and the side effects become more obvious, we'd like to talk about the current situation. I guess all things being considered even, we might as well just get straight into the question. Many people conduct research that substantiates their biases, but you chose research where that bias exists. What drove you to do so? Well, if you're asking what drove me to research steroid use and eating disorders in men, it was kind of an evolution. So before I went to graduate school to receive my PhD, I had always been interested in the concept of eating disorders due to personal experiences and also just being a research assistant in a laboratory where our primary focus was on researching the development and maintenance and interventions for eating and weight disorders. And for me, the intriguing question was, why does our relationship with food, that is such a basic biological need of ours, become so dysfunctional over time? And so I just got really interested in it. And I spent several years researching anorexia, bulimia, binge eating disorder, primarily in young women, because that's the majority of the population that suffers from these issues. And as time went on, I realized that the research was kind of exhausted in those areas, that there were lots of researchers in this very small field that were looking at those specific issues and those specific questions. But there was much less being done when it came to men with eating disorders or looking at body image disturbance in men, looking at the kind of confluence between eating issues and substance issues in men. And that kind of led me to look at anabolic steroid use and how that may be considered an eating disorder in men. So it was a new topic, it was really interesting, and I kind of dived into it. So you would definitely agree with the fact that eating disorders, they're generally more widely accepted to be more common among women. Would you say that it's less common in men, but it's compensated for by or balanced by um, similar body image disorders like muscle dysmorphia? Mm -hmm. Yes. Well, everything is changing and yet everything is based on history, right? So if we ask the question, well, why do we talk so much about eating disorders in women and much less so in men? Then we have to think about just prevalence rates and history. And prevalence rates are based upon our diagnostic definitions of these disorders. So we know, for example, that according to the DSM-5, the big three eating disorders are anorexia, bulimia, and binge eating disorder. And the prevalence rates of those concerns are about two to five times higher in females than in males, right? And so just basically because of the prevalence rates, we talk about these eating disorders more often in women. And historically, we've really thought about eating disorders as being a dysfunction in the way that we think about our shape and our weight 
manifested in weight restriction, right? So the person with anorexia severely diets. The person with bulimia engages in these binge purge cycles to reduce their weight or to control their weight at least. Even the person with binge eating disorder is uh, in a way trying to control their eating and control their weight. So we haven't really considered eating disorders outside of weight restriction, or it's only been recently that we've considered eating disorders outside of restriction. And so to think about, you know, to to think about the flip side of maybe men and women and others who are trying to bulk up, who are trying to develop a certain physique uh, outside of weight restriction is still pretty new for the field. So we're really just starting the conversation around this. It's really interesting because a couple of months ago, I used to kind of track my calories, tracking protein intake, the macro calories is very stressful. I looked at cereal boxes and looked at how much protein. And I felt like the more I went to the gym, the more I became obsessed with it. And, you know, these concerns are becoming more prevalent because of the way our culture has come around in terms of thinking about health and fitness, right? If you look back 20, 30 years ago, we didn't have things like Peloton. We didn't have things like Orange Theory Fitness. We didn't have this like obsession with going to the gym in the same way. And nowadays, fitness is such a core piece of our culture, our society, and our identity. And we become really obsessed with it. Add on to that the fact that social media exists and enables us to compare ourselves to others in a way that we couldn't so easily do before. All of these things have come together to really bring this issue to the forefront. That idea of just this increased focus on the shape of one's body and how how to improve oneself and different avenues, whether that's through eating or through substances. I think that's a great transition into our next question, which is what drives someone to take an anabolic steroid? The demographic of steroid users has shifted from competitive athletes to a more casual group. Can we see a correlation between the emergence of social media, or is there something deeper there? Maybe a conversation about mental health in men, maybe just more visibility of buffer men. Does that affect why people are taking steroids more? Are steroids more accessible now than they were back, say, in the 80s and the 90s? I think so. I mean, I think it's a couple of different things. One is that there is an increased desire among men in particular to look a certain way, right? And so, again, I'll use the example of Peloton. If you look at any of the male Peloton instructors, they're not like the super bulky Arnold Schwarzenegger type bodybuilders, but they have muscle, right? They have tone. They clearly work out and they clearly take care of themselves in that way. And, you know, in order to achieve that kind of physique, you could exercise a hell of a lot. You could take your macronutrients. You could increase your protein intake. And another way to achieve that more quickly is to use steroids. And of all the kind of substances and drugs, steroids is in many ways considered the least threatening. And I do think that as a whole, our society is much more open to the use of substances in various forms. So things like steroids are easier to find, easier to acquire, and less stigmatized than they were in the past. That said, there is a stigma that exists yeah. as evidenced by the research. And do you think that this stigma is a cause for widespread concern? If a considerable portion of the male population is using an anabolic steroid or suffering from an issue concerning their body image, 
and their doctor or healthcare provider is going to stereotype them because of it, how can they feel responsible to for their own care? I mean, it is an issue. It's always been an issue and it will continue to be an issue. I think for people who use steroids and really people who use any kind of substance, right, um, is that there's almost a, even amongst healthcare providers, there's almost a kind of shame on you uh, message that's being sent. And so if there are steroid users who are concerned about their body image and their eating and their weight and are really trying to go to their primary care provider or to a mental health specialist or whomever to say, hey, I think something's wrong. I mean, I think I need help. And they're going to feel shamed by their provider. They're not going to get the care, right? And they're not going to continue to seek the care. And yeah. so it become an increasing issue. That being said, I mean, I think the mental health field for sure, you know, psychologists, social workers, other types of therapists, psychiatrists are increasingly becoming aware that this is a concern among men and women, that there is a stigma surrounding it. And so, you know, the awareness does help increase the likelihood that a provider will, you know, try to appropriately assess and treat an individual. So on the topic of awareness, what can we do to curb the increase in the percentage of men and women who are dissatisfied with their body? Like many issues today, it seems that social media is to blame. Could it be that the countless personas on Instagram giving gym advice are doing more harm than good, showing boys what they should look like when the reality is it's not that easy to achieve? Yeah. So, you know, human beings are social creatures by nature, right? And it's our natural tendency to look to other people and to compare ourselves to other people. And so is social media to blame? Absolutely, right? <laughs> but it's not as simple as that. And it's not just social media. It's also everything that we're doing as a society. And so it's looking at images online. It's, you know, following different fitness moguls online. It's also talking to our family and friends about like, the gym or working out or, you know, getting heavily involved in sports and letting that snowball into something else. So I don't know if you two remember the Dove campaign for fitness or not, sorry, the Dove campaign for real beauty. It was launched in 2004. And prior to that, companies use like thin airbrush models in most of their advertising, right? With the Dove campaign, women of all different shapes and sizes, colors were used. And although I don't know exactly how it affected eating disorder statistics, I do know that it initiated this global conversation about what beauty really is, what health really is. And it changed the way that companies hire and use models. So now you more often see models who are shorter, fuller figured, more real in a way, right? Mm -hmm. So I think if we can drive more campaigns like that and increase the number of, you know, real, so to speak, figures that are on social media as well, that that might start to change the tide a little bit. It won't, I mean, I don't think we'll ever eradicate eating disorders and body image issues, but I do think that we can create a healthier community overall by doing that. Yeah, I feel like something we see a lot today in Hollywood, in a lot of superhero movies, are these very buff actors who deny using steroids. It does cause people to believe they can obtain this physique. And I think that also does cause more issues. 
Yeah. And even if, you know, I'm not here to judge anyone's behavior necessarily, but even if they are not using illegal steroids, you know, there's a difference Mm -hmm. legal steroids and illegal steroids. So illegal steroids are the anabolic um, steroids that we're talking about. Legal steroids are the kind of over-the-counter pills that you can find at the vitamin shop. And even if actors, models, whomever are not using steroids, legal or illegal, a lot of them are engaging in pretty extreme measures to achieve certain physiques, right, for Mm -hmm. their roles. It's unfair in some ways to talk about it because that's their job, right? Their, Their job is to look a certain way for a certain role. And at the same time, you know, they are on very specific diets. They are on very specific exercise regimens that the average individual just can't achieve. It certainly wouldn't be healthy long term. So even that kind of behavior is unhealthy. About being healthy, can long-term anabolic steroid use or legal steroid use be sustainable if the substances are used in moderation? So I am no medical doctor. So you know, there's a whole physiology behind it that I cannot speak to. What I can say, though, is based upon all of our research, the answer is likely no, in the sense that long-term steroid use, whether it's legal, illegal, anabolic, not, it leads to a lot of harmful consequences. Um, increased heart rate, right? Um, increased anxiety, uh, anger, irritability, um, uh, other types of mood changes, other types of physical changes um, that you wouldn't necessarily consider good mental or physical health, right? And so does it achieve its purpose in terms of giving a person a certain physique? Yes. But does it cause a whole lot of other consequences that we would like to avoid? Absolutely. Yeah, because we see a lot, obviously, sports, performance-enhancing drugs are usually banned, but in bodybuilding, a lot of these organizations say they do ban these substances, but 99% of the professionals continue to use anabolic steroids on show. And they are the ones who win these competitions. And if someone desires to be a bodybuilder, they won't be able to be a successful one if they don't use steroids. Right, right. I think just going back to what you said about all of those, those sort of unwanted side effects, those detrimental side effects, individuals should be should be feeling confident about going to their doctor, right? Despite this evidence that there is a stigma, they should know that they can go to a professional who's going to appropriately assist them, correct? I would hope so, yes. I mean, I think that, you know, as a psychologist, as a healthcare provider, you know, my mandate is to help people in need no matter what. I may have personal judgments or opinions about their behaviors, but at the end of the day, my job is to serve them. And I would say that's true of any healthcare professional. And so hopefully they can put their stigma aside, their thoughts aside in order to say, hey, you know, you have been using steroids and you are experiencing harmful side effects. So let me help you manage those or let me give you some education that could put you on a better path. Yeah. I remember something in the study you wrote about was one reason why healthcare professionals do have this bias towards their users. And it was about like they related it to like professionals doping because back then it usually was these competitive athletes using steroids to perform better in their sports. But now it's obviously becoming a more casual thing. I feel like that bias hasn't really changed and and now is still kind of 
considered cheating or people believe it's cheating. But a lot of times now steroid users are doing it because they just don't feel comfortable in how they look. So do you think the vice that healthcare professionals have is that these people are cheaters? I don't know if the bias nowadays is so much that these people are cheaters, other than these are people who are doing something that's purposely, even if they don't realize it, detrimental to their health, right? And so it's kind of the way that healthcare providers still have a stigma around smokers. I used to work at a smoking cessation clinic, so I saw this all the time where in a smoking cessation clinic, you meet individuals who are there because they want to quit smoking or they've been encouraged to quit smoking, right? But there's a tendency for lots of providers to kind of poo-poo it because they think, well, there's all this education out there on mm -hmm. why smoking is bad for you, right? Smoking causes lung cancer. It's written on every pack of cigarettes out there. And these people are still choosing to smoke cigarettes. How could they? So it's less about the cheating and more about the, you're doing something that you know is harmful to you. What I found interesting was there's this like, a big difference between the bias towards steroid users and it was cocaine users. Why do you think there was such a big difference between the two? I think that there is a lot more research that has been done around the neurobiology of cocaine and similar drugs, where we know that it co-ops your nervous system, right? And therefore encourages you to act in ways that you just don't have great control over. Steroids are still put in that category of they don't have the same kind of neurochemical effect. You know, there's more that we can do to control our use of them. Whether or not that's true is still a big question, but I, I think that's what providers tend to think. Jonas, do you have any more questions? I think all of our prepared questions have been answered very well. Yeah, I don't have any other questions I would like to propose. And I would just say thank you so much, Dr. Yu, for taking the time. And thank you to our listeners for tuning in. We will be back shortly with more. So be on the lookout. Make sure to follow us on Instagram at Psychology of Swole to avoid missing an upload. See you in the next one.